Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and playthroughs. And today we're talking about Hoplomachus Victorum. What's up, Mike? Hey, Peter. Uh, school started, so I'm more tired than usual, but <laughs> going to try to bring the energy anyway. Yeah, no, I've been tired lately, too. I'm worried because, like, I'm tired all the time. I'm sneezing and, like, I've got the worst headache tonight. So I'm like, do I have COVID? I hope I don't have COVID. Like, I don't know where I would have gotten it. Like, I haven't done anything, like, out of the ordinary. So who knows? Hopefully it's just, I know my allergies kick up this time of the year. So hopefully it's just that. Yeah, hopefully. I feel better, buddy. Thanks, man. Um, so yeah, so what we're saying is we're bringing it tonight, <laughs> despite <laughs> despite all that. Uh, or maybe we won't bring it. You all be the judge of that and let us know. Or don't. Best it's- episode ever, right here, everybody. <laughs> so uh, I am excited, though, about Hoplomachus Victorum. Now, I don't have a sword. Uh, I don't know if you've been <laughs> seeing this trend all over Twitter, all over, uh, you know, wherever. Everybody just showing off their swords that uh, they got sent from Chip Theory. So I guess we should do a little disclosure ahead of time that we got a sword. We got a sword. <laughs> Uh, but I will tell you that I did not get a sword, so you can trust me, at least, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a very nice gesture. Chip Theory is very generous. At the same time, it's, you know, I, I, I try to be as unbiased as possible, so getting a sword from a company is a little bit weird. But, uh, hey, I recorded my review before I knew I was getting a sword. I'm yes. just going to say the same things I said in the video, except with more details. So, uh, <laughs> so there's that, at least. Yeah, and uh, I don't have a sword, so... Uh, I'm I am not biased at all. Not that not that I think getting a sword would bias you, but uh, some of these other fools, I don't, I'm not so sure about. <laughs> don't say that. Yeah, we we, we can have like a, a weekly duel, Peter, and whoever wins gets to keep the sword for that week. I mean, only one of us would have a sword, though. What kind of duel would that be? <laughs> well, I guess the person who uh, starts with the sword, this guy might keep winning. You know, it's just uh, how how these things go. I tell you, I'm, I'm just going to keep conceding before we start because <laughs> like, I don't have a sword. So there's that. It's not sharp. It's just metal, you know. <laughs> it's just Heavy metal. metal hitting you repeatedly. So Brian Sholik is in the chat. He says, and you probably have COVID. I had it last week. He said, hi, my computer, and you probably have COVID. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> or Brian, I'm sorry. I appreciate that. And uh, he also says, my only sword is in my martini. So those little plastic <laughs> swords, I guess. I don't even have those. So... I, I think well, I, what's funny is I got the sword and I was like, I have a sword. And my wife was more excited than I was. And then she's like, oh, it can be with our other sword. And I was like, we have another sword. And then she went down and like brought up this like cutlass. And I was like, why do you have that? <laughs> I still don't know why she has it. I didn't get the story out of her. So yeah, we have we have two swords. I guess we can have the duel, Peter. Yeah, I don't know. Would you give up one of your swords? I don't know. If I had two swords, I would like openly give it to somebody else to actually duel me. Like that seems like a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> that's what honor is all about buddy oh i don't have that so that's fine <laughs> but i guess before we get into uh, uh or continue with all this nonsense we should probably thank some patreons yes patreons and patrons <laughs> you know what they're called i don't so uh yeah if, if you uh don't know already we have a patreon it's at uh, patreon.com slash one stop uh you get early access to our videos you get to vote on things sometimes the big one is that uh usually me although peter and i will do them together and uh or steve and colin or barrent or jason 
Uh, we do bonus videos every month. You can only see them there. I've got, at this point, uh, I think it's like 22 of them at this point. If you join the Patreon, you can just kind of watch them all. But uh, yeah, we, we, we just want to give something back to the people who are helping us buy equipment, pay for our <laughs> podcasting hosting fees and sound effect hosting fees and all the things that all builds up. But uh, this week, I'd like to thank Henrik Lantz, Kyle Courtright, Bob Hessling, and Matthew McLeod. We'll do four because we've gotten a bunch recently. So Henrik, Kyle, Bob, and Matthew, uh, thanks to you all. Thanks to everybody. And, you know, even if uh, Patreon's not in your budget right now, I know everything uh, is tough. Uh, we appreciate it if you join the Discord to talk to us, if you subscribe to the streaming channel and the non-streaming YouTube channels. Uh, if you want to leave us a review for this very podcast you're listening to, it helps a ton to get more people to listen to it. If you think it's worth listening to, <laughs> hopefully you do. Uh, but yeah, so thank you, everyone. Really appreciate the support. Yeah, and we have uh, Sir Trevis out here that said, you got a sword. Awesome. I just thought the name was awesome. Sir Trevis. I mean, should I go get it? Here, you say something and I'll go get it. Okay. Yeah, we also got new guy 2878 asking a question about re- repetition in the game. Trust me, we will get into that. In fact, that does lead kind of into our design discussion. We are going to talk about uh, how to vary things up in a long campaign game like this. So how to change from mission to mission or how to have different bosses or how to make it so your hero levels up to make it more interesting and differentiated from game to game. So uh, new guy 2878, perfect question because uh, that is what we'll be covering in our design discussion. And then uh, Brian comes back with just asked Alexander Hamilton about dueling. Yeah, <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't work out so well. No, it worked out great for him. And that so, is probably the most I will do with this sword for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, you know, it's going to be part of your kids' Halloween costumes. They're just going to be the it. only kids out there with real swords. Like, yeah, walking around the somebody tries to mess with them, they'll be in for a big surprise. <laughs> yes. All right, so let's talk about what we've been playing before we get into the review proper. So we played a couple games last week. Yeah, so uh, I got a couple from, I think it's called IV Studios, uh, Moonrakers and Mythic Mischief. Mythic Mischief just has competitive and solo, and Peter and I just play the competitive. I actually haven't tried out the solo yet, but I, I thought it's fun. You, you liked it too, right, Peter? Yeah, it's it's definitely a very cute game, like cute-ish, because you're like monsters, you're vampires, or whatever else. You know, different- you're like students, like cute vampire students in a in like a magical college is kind of the sense I get. But it's one of the meanest games ever. Like, the whole point of the game, I've never played Nuns on the Run, but it sounds a little like that, where you're, like, running around and trying to grab different stuff. Now, that one's more objective-based than this one. There are objectives on the map that you're trying to grab, but it's just to level up your uh, team, and you're really just trying not to get caught. At the same time, you're trying to, like... I don't know, I was a vampire, so I'm, like, hypnotic gazing your people into the hallways and then, like, moving the headmaster around so he's capturing your guys, trying to get this headmaster to come around and and capture the other team's characters. So, yeah, I I thought it was fun, but boy, is it mean for something that looks so cute. (laughs) I I played it with my son. Not my best choice. He he won the first game. Cloud nine. Everything was great. He did not win the second game. He's like, I never want to play this game again. (laughs) Yeah, I could see. T- I mean, I almost had tears. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I am excited to play the uh, solo mode because I think the thing you and I both like the best, Peter, was like the tactical puzzle is very nuanced and you can really pull off some cool moves. And the solo takes away all of the the hard feelings. You know, no one is hurt. No one is sad. Except I mean, me when I lose, I guess. 
Yeah, if you lose the AI, that feels pretty bad. It's like, wow, I'm dumber than a, uh, a, a paper <laughs> AI. Nice. I got that going for me. Um, but I feel that way a lot of times, especially with Gaia Project, which is actually what Jerry and I played after you left that night. So oh, I didn't know you played that. That's a yeah, great game. Yeah, we'll keep it on the competitive discussion. So we played Gaia Project two-player, and it was a very close game. Jerry actually got out to quite a big lead. He made a, uh alliance early on, and then he just kept riding that train. Like He was getting a lot of uh, QIC cubes, which like let him reactivate the power of his alliance over and over. So he's just scoring... Tons of points from doing that. I hadn't seen that strategy, so that was neat. That'll 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 go in my arsenal from now on. That's for sure. So it was a, it was a nice close game, but I love that game solo. It is probably my number two solo game of all time, behind Marvel Champions. Although honestly, I don't even know if I consider Marvel Champions a solo game anymore. I love it. You solo, do play it a lot with Terrence, but I play it more two player now than I even yeah. play it solo. So I mean, I guess Gaia Project isn't solo either because it's. You know, I play it competitive, not as much as I play it solo. So for my number one played solo game, it's probably Gaia Project right now. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one, too, although I haven't played it in probably a year or more. Well, I'll have to lend it to you so you can play it a bunch, because the one thing I found is there is a learning curve and a skill, a little bit of a skill threshold that you build up over time. And it is hard to play with people who aren't of at least a similar level. It's similar to like chess or whatever else because there's not a lot of randomness to it yeah so well hey uh, you can just keep playing uh isaac <laughs> the designer of gloomhaven i know you have played him a few times right uh well only once we've we've talked uh, okay. about it several times but that that one drunken night and go back to our pax you of 2021 podcast to hear yeah. more about that but yes so i've only played isaac once but i am sure there will be a rematch and i will try to be at least a little more sober the next time we play each other. <laughs> so that way I can put up a little bit better showing in the first half and uh, maybe pull it out. But we played one more game that night that was actually cooperative. So one stop yep. co-op shop talking about cooperative stuff. Who knew? Although it's, it's a little bit tough to do it cooperatively right now. So yeah, that's Moonrakers, which had a new uh, crowdfunding campaign recently. This is the first I've played it. It's a competitive deck builder with like negotiations. So some people might call it semi-cooperative at times. Uh, although Peter and Sandy of that, he just played the co-op mode. Yes. Uh, it's got solo out of the box. I have played the solo. I thought it was, uh, you know, fun. I'm sure you're missing out on a lot of the game without any cooperation. But the puzzle of how to play your cards and like what to do on your turn was pretty cool. But yeah, so they have this uh, newish solo co-op mode that's through Steam right now. Uh, the reason I played it at Peter's house is because I literally can't play it at my house. I don't have any like area to have the board near my computer, which is the only way I have to play Steam. I don't have a laptop or a Steam deck. But yeah, it's on Steam. They say they're putting it on iOS, and it turns it into like a uh, solo co-op campaign. And yeah, I mean, it's still in beta. They're still like developing it and stuff. I thought it was okay. I think I actually preferred the solo out of the box that I had played. But it's it's a nice interface. Like they have some cool like technology stuff going on there. How do you feel about that one, Peter? I liked it okay. I, I mean, honestly, it was. I didn't feel like you had a ton of choices. More, yeah. maybe more in the deck building than in the card play. It kind of felt like it was pretty obvious what to play. We might have had one or two decisions a turn. I, I guess the one thing is the cooperative elements, which 
aren't really printed anywhere. You kind of like have to look at them in the app, but like using an action to let you draw a card and hoping you draw into something good, you know, and saying, okay, well, I only have two more actions. Maybe if I give you one, you can give me an action back or give me an opportunity to draw a card back or whatever. So I think the cooperative elements were actually pretty good for a game that wasn't designed to be cooperative. The parts I like least about it were actually what you were doing on your turn, which is like play a card and it's like, Okay, you could play two more cards and then play another card, draw two cards. Like those decisions didn't feel very interesting to me. Yeah, what, what strikes me is that, again, not having played the competitive game, it seems like that core kind of card play, at least in the competitive game, is sort of like a quick, almost resolves itself kind of section. Because I agree with you, there don't seem to be that many choices in how you play your cards. Whereas like the whole game is really in the negotiation and the deck building and what you buy. And like who you help and where you go and when you lie to people and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's interesting that like in the solo co-op mode, taking like that part away and just letting you like trying to make the card puzzle front and center. I don't know if that's the best look for the game, but this is the only time I play the co-op. So I don't want to make any big pronouncements about it just from that. And again, it's in development still. Now, did you say the solo mode was good out of the boxes or a cooperative mode yeah i i know I, there's no cooperative mode out of the box but the solo mode i had a fun time with because instead of like you're still playing your hand of cards but there's like a line of ai cards that you can cooperative with but you have to pay them so it becomes a bit of like a really it's super fast playing it becomes a bit of like an optimization puzzle like how much can i get away with like which objectives can i complete without the ai helping or is it worth it to me will i get even more victory points by letting them help And then, like, what's the best way, you know, you see, like, eight objectives at a time in the main game. So, like, you're deck building with a clear goal in mind. Like, I need to get this type of card. I need to get that type of card to complete the challenges. So, yeah, I I don't know. I'll have to play all the modes more. And I might not even do a review of the Luminor app until, like, it's more done and I can play it at my table with iOS. But I'll probably do, like, a playthrough at least of the uh, original solo mode because I did have fun with that. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so we got a few more people in the chat. We got Dr. Han out there saying, you keep talking competitive games, and that sword won't be happy with you. All right. So Uh, one more game I just played, Peter. Um, Okay. I played the... I played the... This is cooperative. It's only cooperative. I played uh, the intro, like, tutorial mission for Resident Evil 3. So Steamforge Games did a board game adaptation of Resident Evil 2, which is my favorite Resident Evil video game of all time. Then Resident Evil 3, and then I think the next one, which they crowdfunded but isn't out yet, Peter got to play, I think, a demo of it, um, is Resident Evil 1, I think, or 0, one of those. Uh, But yeah, I I played with my son, Resident Evil 3. It was super random, but it kind of hit like those Resident Evil vibes. Like I was desperately shooting off and stabbing zombies and running out of ammo, and they were charging at me, and I tried to like help Harrison escape somebody and got bitten for my efforts. Uh, so I'm actually like cautiously excited about it. Uh, this might be my first recommended Steamforge game because they're often uh, <laughs> more missed than hit for me. I like so, that yeah. one. I, I did have a lot of fun with it. And if you want to see my one and only play of it, I played it here right on the One Stop Co-op Shop stream oh, channel. Oh, cool. I didn't know you have a stream. Awesome. Yep. With the designer. So if there were any rules, questions, anything else, I, I assume we got all the rules right because uh, it was definitely with the designer. So go ahead and check that out as well. I don't know. Just look up Resident Evil. I don't think we have any other Resident Evil playthroughs on our stream channel. So uh, yeah, check that out. I, I do remember having a lot of fun with it, though. I thought it was well done. I mean, maybe random. I don't remember. It, it was a while ago, but uh, I did like that one. 
And uh, speaking of which, I have the Hoplomachus Victorum playthrough on the stream channel as well. So if you want to see what actual gameplay looks like, although I will say that was an early build of it, they've definitely Mm -hmm. upgraded some of the stuff for the full version of it. And we could talk about some of those changes as well uh, as we discuss the game today. Oh, don't forget, I have a full playthrough and review <laughs> on the non-streaming channel, so you can go watch. If you want to see like the final version of the game, that's a good place to see it. Yep, yep, very cool. All right, well, let me get into theme for uh, Hoplomachus Victorum. I'm going to read now, so we're all in trouble. So just be gentle. I'm uh, I'm going through just the like the end of the first paragraph into the second paragraph in like the story so far in the rulebook. Prosperinia. <laughs> all right, so it started off great bestows her mercy upon those who live near the volcano and foretells of the eruption. And this is the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. It was going to kill a bunch of people. They basically begged for their lives. And Prosperinia basically, uh, you know, she forestalls the eruption. But Pluto, lord of the underworld, was not pleased. Angered that he had been robbed of his new souls for his domain, Pluto gives the world of mortals an ultimatum. In one year, he will trigger a new eruption at Vesuvius. This one powerful enough to blanket the entire planet in molten rock and ash. The only way humanity can avoid its fate is if Earth's strongest warriors, best Pluto's seven dreaded scions in combat and defeat Pluto himself. Around the world, the champions of many great civilizations begin amassing followers seeking to destroy the scions and save the world and cement their own legend forever. So actually, I thought that was kind of a neat story and i mean basically you're a gladiator going around to all these different arenas fighting off uh you know trying to build yourself build you know level up basically and build a a massive following behind you so you can take on these powerful scions so yeah i think that does a good job of uh briefly describing what the game is going to be about i mean let's be real here peter you know what this game is clearly uh, inspired by right uh no i don't i mean mortal Kombat. Right? Mortal Kombat! Right. <laughs> nice. But I mean, come on. Like, you know, you got your champions. They got their champions. Outworld wants to come and uh, conquer the Earth. Like, it's it's straight up Mortal Kombat, man. <laughs> Tale as old as time. <laughs> that's that's a little different. By the way, was the name Proserpina? Maybe. Okay, yeah. So I, I actually did not know this one because I, I teach uh, Greek mythology as well as many other ones, but I've never done Roman mythology much. So that is uh, apparently the Romanization of Persephone, the one that uh, Hades slash Pluto like stole slash kidnapped slash married. And then like the whole like ate the pomegranate seeds uh, makes the summer and the winter. Does this sound familiar? Nope. Okay. <laughs> not even a little bit. Well, anyway, so it's it's Pluto's wife uh, by the, the Roman <laughs> mythology. But anyway, nice. uh, let's get into the mechanics. So this is a campaign-only, solo-only game. Let's get some niche uh, going on here. <laughs> um, it is heavily inspired by Hoplomachus Origins, which was the third Hoplomachus set for the original series. And that was also um, competitive or had like a sort of a solo campaign. But you are moving around this world map. You have up to 12 weeks for each of four acts. And at the end of each act, you have to fight a regular boss, basically another one of the heroes or another one of the champions you could have been. At the end of week four, if you survive that long, then you uh, fight the actual Scion, one of the eight, like Peter mentioned. And if you win, then you win the campaign. And there's different difficulty levels, but uh, basically the, the meat of the campaign is as you move around this map, you will trigger different types of events. Sports events and bloodshed events are the main ones. 
but they all take place on a tactical board. So you, so you leave the like world map and you set up one of eight for the eight regions of the world, for the eight heroes, for the eight bosses in a way. Uh, you set up one of these tactical maps. They each have uh, unique rules, unique things that they set up. They each have a whole set of units, and usually those units will be the ones that are spawning on those maps, and they'll have advantages there. And then uh, if you play in Hapamakis, it is a turn-based uh, strategy game with hex-based movement. You will take turns moving your people and attacking. They'll move their people and attack using a pretty straightforward AI system. And uh, depending on the event, you might like need to capture a flag. You might need to hold a certain ground for King of the Hill and build up points. You might need to just kill everybody. <laughs> And uh, you're trying to survive, but you're also trying to level up your hero. You gain experience, you gain new skills. You also build a squad of soldiers. You can lose them and like recruit new ones. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. You're just going through uh, up to 48 weeks. If you put it all together, it's like eight to 10 hours of gameplay. So feel free to take a break <laughs> and not play it in one sitting. Uh, but you're just trying to build up to be strong enough to uh, finally make it and defeat the Scion at the end. Well, and that'll be one of my points at the end. It It is eight to 10 hours, but it is very easy to clean up and put away. Yeah. And it's also very easy to leave on your table as well, since it is a solo game. So depending on what you have space for or not, but I definitely in the course of my campaign, not even necessarily at the end of a of a chapter or whatever, either. I would just clean it up, put it away, and then pull it back out the next day or, mm -hmm. or even change rooms because I got new puppies. So, like, sometimes I'd want to be up with the puppies and I'd be playing it up there. And then sometimes they were just, like, going nuts. And I was like, all right, I'm taking this downstairs. You guys got the puppies. <laughs> so, it is very portable. Much more portable than I would have expected it to be. But, all right. So, let's get into the discussion. I guess I'll start with my number five. And that is... You have more information than you think when you play this game. Mm -hmm. So I think my five are going to be very different. I think a lot of times we overlap a lot. I don't talk as much about mechanics in my five this time. I'm talking more about, I don't know, just the things I learned over the discovery of the game. So after my first complete campaign, as I was getting near the end, so like the fourth act, so about hour, you know, eight, ten, whatever it was, I was realizing that I can see, because the top card, the, the decks are turned face up. So you can see the next arena battle that you're going to go into. You can see the next bloodshed battle that you're going to go into. You can see the next, what are those things called? Opportunities. Opportunities, yeah. You can see your next opportunity. Now you get to choose from the top two opportunities, but you at least get an idea what your rewards might be. Not only that, though, but you get to see, based on what region you are, what at least one of the opponents you're going to be fighting against is. And it's usually the first one that comes out will be like a local opponent. So you pull that out of the, the top of the stack of whatever area you're fighting in on the board. So you have a lot of information going in and you always have the option to, once you like take all the information into account, just skip that event too. You can move to a location, skip it. It doesn't even cost you time. And then, yes, it builds up like this corruption and the, the evil guys get worse and worse as you skip more events, but it heals you up to full. It even lets you rearrange some of the other decks as well while you're doing that. So not only are you skipping that event and observing it, but or spectating is what they call it, but you also get to rearrange the other decks. So, for example, one of the decks I know that was a sport event said the enemies get life equal to whatever week you were in. And I was in week like 10 or 11 at the time. So I shuffled that one to the back and I made that my first event for the next act. So you you have, 
It's interesting because at first there's a lot of this stuff that seems random and don't, don't worry. I'll get to the point that there is some stuff that is random and out of your control, but you do have control in a lot of ways you don't think you do. And another point is the whole point is to make sure your hero doesn't die. It doesn't matter if your followers die, things like that. You can, at the beginning of anybody's turn, meaning yours or the opponent's, so you whiff on that critical attack, you can then decide to just leave the combat. You say, nope, that's it. I give up. And you you leave with all your health and everything. Now, again, that bad guy gets bad, worse and everything else, but you don't have to deal with that till the end, typically. You might get some banes in your bag. It might become harder for you. But at least there's the option to save yourself if bad stuff keeps happening. So I, I don't know. The, the whole point of this is you have more information and more control than it feels like when you're originally playing the game. Yeah, I fully agree. And that's something I didn't appreciate until a little bit later. The combination of knowing what arena you'll be in, what the first enemy will be, and like what the special rules will be for that event definitely give you a lot. Like they, they build a lot into you almost know how the battle might go before you even start it. You know what I mean? Which is, is, is kind of cool because, again, the game can be pretty random in other aspects. Yeah, the randomness that comes in is you don't know all the enemies you're facing. You just know the first one. And then, of course, the dice rolls are going to be different based on uh, how they come out. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but you do have a lot of information. And, and I would say don't try to know that information when you're first starting. Just play through. Just play it. Don't pay attention. Don't worry about any of that stuff I just said. But I think you'll see over time you'll care more and more about that information. Yeah. Uh, so my number five is uh, focused on the heroes and the scions. This is like one of the many things we'll be talking about tonight that are focused on variety. And here it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. Peter and I were just talking about this earlier today. I think the heroes are nicely varied. It is a very different experience to play as one of the tankier heroes, as opposed to like an archer hero, as opposed to one of the more mobile heroes. It, it changes up which missions you take. It changes up how you like approach each battle. It uh, changes up what the composition of your squad is going to be. And then uh, the heroes also have a completely unique deck of prowess cards, like these uh, skills they can unlock. So I, I think that's all really nice. That said, uh, this is a similar, and this is just a way that I tend to feel. Uh, you know, I, I get bored playing with the same character in Gloomhaven if it goes too long and I don't get to retire them. I uh, have to change out my Dice Throne Adventure character after every, like, two or three games because I get bored with them. So playing the same hero with the same, like, basic abilities for, <laughs> you know, 48 battles or something, that's not always exciting. But I, I still think that they did a nice job of having a good variety for them. And then the Scions, first of all, I think the Scion battles are awesome. I uh, did a full campaign to get to one, like, legitimately, and then I just kind of messed around with a few more. <laughs> this is based on the, uh, <laughs> I mean, it takes a while. This is based on the Hoplomachus Rise of Rome system, where they had these titans you would fight. So you roll a, a bunch of dice of different colors, and the ones that hit for each color will do different special abilities for the bosses. They have uh, different, like, things going on. They, they have different unique traits. Like, they, they really feel very different. The, the negative side of that is that unlike, and just to compare to another game by the same company, Too Many Bones, the boss that you have uh, has a major influence on the campaign or, you know, the, the session that you're playing kind of the entire time. It changes up which uh, enemies you fight. It changes up like unique encounters you'll have. For the Scions, literally the only element that is unique until you get to them, which is after, again, eight to ten hours of play, the only thing that is unique is their own unique bane that goes in the bag. And unless I miss a rule, you can get rid of that bane just like any other one, just by yep. getting one of the rewards that lets you get rid of one. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's not like bad. It's not like I was thinking, man, I wish the Scion was doing more. But 
I think, especially as I play more campaigns, it's kind of a missed opportunity because there are, you know, I'd love more things to vary up that campaign play. And uh, right now they, they don't use the Scion, I think, in a way that's super exciting, except for that final battle, which is really cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the way you're going to get variety from campaign to campaign is choosing a new hero. Now, there are, what, seven of them in the box? so I think eight, one for each uh, area. Oh, yeah. So there is there is a decent amount of variety there. But at the same time, yeah, no, you're not feeling like you're fighting against different things, you know, based on who the boss is, unless you happen to get that one Bane. And it doesn't even start in the bag. It's not even like you start with that Bane. You have to like... I mean, it, it is the first one you get, so it's not too yes. bad. You'll usually get it by the end of Act 1. I mean, what I'm going to house rule in future plays is that you just can't get rid of that Bane. So at least there's like some unique element <laughs> if it stays around for the entire campaign. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it's a minor thing, but yeah. And they're not easy to get rid of. You do have to get an opportunity card and you do have to like do whatever it says. So it might say like go into a bloodshed event with your hero, you know, loses four health at the beginning or something like that, or, uh, defeat three enemies using only ranged units or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's easy, but I think there is variety in that as well, which I don't get into, but let me talk about my number four, which is the, Luck. And I said, no mitigation. But then I changed it to not much mitigation. <laughs> so there there really isn't mitigation in the dice rolls, right? So each character has a certain number of dice they roll. They have different levels of dice. So red is the most powerful dice because it literally has a hit on every side. Black has hits on five of the six sides. Then it goes down to green, blue, and yellow. One less hit on each side based on that. So it tells you which combination of dice the character rolls, but there's no re-rolls. There's no any, the only mitigation really is there's one group of characters, like very few characters that have an ability to like intercept the blow and like mm. take the damage for your boss if you get like this or whoever they're defending if you get this terrible roll. But it's like I've had one character in my two campaigns that had that ability. And uh, beside that, there wasn't really any opportunity to mitigate the dice rolls, except for what I said earlier, which is just you can completely quit if things just go sideways, which is not a bad option. But the units is another thing. So we talked about there's randomness with the units you draw out of the bag. You might draw all two health units out of the bag some games, and it'll probably be super easy because as you kill you kill them just as they come out before they even get a chance to act. Maybe they get one shot off, but you know, you might kill them super quickly and super early. And then other games you might face like some of the hardest uh, villains mm-hmm. that are out there. So that's another thing that there's not much mitigation for. You just draw what you draw. You can skip or pull out of a battle that's as far as being able to mitigate it a little bit. And then you can also, like I said, when you look at the battle as you're about to go in, you can choose not to go in. If it's just like, oh, this is not good for the squad I currently have, or I'm low on health or whatever reason, you could always choose to spectate and get all your health back. Like I said, you'll probably get a Bane because of that. The more you do that, the more Banes you'll get, but at least it gives you an option and there's no penalty. Unlike if you surrender in the middle of combat, you pull out, you get Banes and you'd even get the heal out of it. You just got whatever damage happened to you. So surrendering is not a great option mid battle, but uh, you could tell ahead of time, you know, how it looks going in. Although, like I said, you may just draw bad units or get, you know, first couple turns may just be bad rolls and it is what it is. You may have to surrender sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, randomness didn't pop up on my list, and I totally agree with everything you just said, but um, you play so many battles, especially over the course of the whole campaign, 
and you roll so many times in each battle. Yep. It's it's one of those games where like the randomness is so stretch and kind of so ever present that it didn't really stick out to me. But you're you're totally right. And somebody who hates randomness is going to probably find things that'll tank this game for them potentially. If you don't yeah, like I, dice I, rolling, this is not one for you. I mean, literally you're rolling dice the entire game. Like that is Yeah, and and it is like if you're a chip theory fan, the dice are swingier in general than too many bones where like the attack dice for example you have four one sides a single two side and a single zero side or uh cloud spire has the exact same thing for the spire dice this is a and and hoplo has always been this way this is a wider range of results but yeah uh, just uh, one more thing on the randomness first i'll say i think you know the game kind of lives and dies on its variety so having so much variety in which enemies come out and like how a battle goes based on your die rolls. I think that can be a very good thing for the game. Yep. And also, uh, I don't think you mentioned this yet, Peter, but as long as you're not playing on like the hardest difficulty settings, you get what are called blessings and you can heal yourself fully if you die. And uh, if you like run out of all your units, you can get a whole new squad of units. So the game gives you a lot of, uh, Oh crap kind of reset buttons. Uh, if you play on like normal or the first uh, difficulty setting that that's can help out a little bit with the randomness. Yep, absolutely. And Ryan pointed out again that not only can you see the top of the cards, but you also know the local units to combine those two pieces to decide which battles to go in. Yeah, that was my number five point. So we did cover that, but it's worth pointing out here again. All right, Mike. All right. Yeah, so my uh, my number four is uh, the campaign structure as a whole. This is another like kind of mixed one for me. I I did a, uh, what is it, four square, but it's not four square because it's not Dice Tower. Uh, (laughs) We did a group review um, on Man vs. Meeple. Jeremy Howard put it together with uh, Alex from Board Game Co. and Liz from Beyond Solitaire. And we talked a lot about the grind of the game. And that's really like what I'm talking about here with the campaign structure. You are going through a lot of battles. The battles can be very fast. Like once you're used to the game and the AI and all that, they can be like 10 minutes long. But you're doing a bunch of them. And, you know, again, you can break up the game. But over the course of the whole campaign, you are battling, you are battling, you are battling. And sometimes it feels incredibly varied. Sometimes I had times where I would, like, be just kind of running around the same location. Like, my units matched it. Or those were, like, the best areas for me. Or I had to stay near there because I was going to fight the boss there. If you do the same, like, arena a lot of times in a row. If you get, like, a similar fight a lot of times in a row. If you find a really good combo with your units that works for yep. a while, now they'll die eventually. <laughs> but sometimes you'll find a combo and kind of run into the ground. Uh, sometimes the grind does get a little bit dull. It does feel like like Liz didn't mind the grind because she sort of saw it as a video game and it is like a solo experience. And again, the battles are very fast. So like people who like, uh, I don't know, I used to love Final Fantasy Tactics. If you're kind of used to that sort of thing, it might not bug you. But there were times when the grind did get annoying. But on the other hand... I have to give the campaign uh, credit for, I think, Peter, you can chime in if you agree. I I think it really achieves a pretty epic build. And a this is the thing that maybe I appreciated the most. And Peter, I know you must have loved this because this is something you complain about a lot. It's not just a build in epicness and challenge level, which I think they do really well. But it's also a build across the campaign of complexity. Because you start with only the basic units, like almost zero keywords out of this huge keyword sheet. And then as you fight, you add in single units into the bag or into your squad with maybe one or two keywords. So it's like very, it, it, it what's the word, onboards you in a very gentle way yep. compared to, again, to compare like too many bones, you got like all this crap to choose from for your character right away. Cloud Spire, you've got like 
all the units and all their abilities for your entire faction and turn right one. out of the gate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So and, and yeah, so I think the I think the campaign builds in an excellent way, and I think it's really nice how it uh, kind of not holds the player's hand, but eases you into it each time you play. But the grind can be a bummer sometimes. And I will say the other thing, just getting back to the onboarding experience, because I don't really cover this. There are like a couple places you need to check for keywords because there are some keywords used in the game. One is there's a sheet of keywords that's only used on the chips. So if you see like a word on a chip, it's on that one page or sheet. It took me a while to figure that out because there are also keywords in the back of the rule book, but none of those keywords are on the player chips. So those are like any other word in the game you might have a question about would be in the back of the rule book. So once I figured out like where to look for things, it made it much easier. And then there's a great player reference on the back of the rules as well. So honestly, I have the rule book there with the back looking at me to kind of help me get through, you know, the major stuff is covered there. And then that one pager for for abilities front and back. And honestly, the only time I found the abilities overwhelming is when I'd get into those uh, boss fights at the end Mm -hmm. of each act, because the boss has abilities in addition to all these units and chips that you've been adding. And abilities you've never seen before. Like, that's the thing. Like, the other units, it's like, okay, I've seen this one a hundred times. When you get to the boss, you're like, I have no idea what that is. Like, they (laughs) definitely have some stuff that, like, none of the other units have. But I I like that a lot. So my number three is the leveling system. And you have a lot of choices. I know this is a huge complaint we had about too many bones. And I think maybe you've shifted your view a little bit on this. But I actually think the leveling system in this is really good. Too many bones. We thought there was just an obvious path to go down. And I don't think that is the case here. So I, I do think you might get stuck in a path. But after playing more, I found that like there are different options. Like I just upgraded my health a lot for my one character because that is the kind of character he was. And for another character, I wanted a lot of allies because I realized when you get to that final fight, you can use all of your allies. There is no like limit. Whereas in most battles, you'll have a limit. I was like, oh, why would I want to increase my ally limit? Because when I go into that next battle, I can only choose so many of these allies to come with me. But when you get that final boss fight, you bring all your allies with you. So that was really nice to know too, because honestly, the only way you lose in that final battle is you lose your boss. So if you can keep throwing allies at him to like, you know, be <laughs> cannon fodder, that's certainly a, a good way to, to go about keeping yourself alive longer as well. So I just liked that there were different options. So you can level up your dice. Like I said, each dice has four different levels it can go to from yellow to black. So you can level those up. You can add more dice. Uh, to a maximum of four, but I mean, there's a lot of variety there. Do I get more yellow dice first? Do I level up my dice first? And I think it depends on the hero because one of my heroes Mm -hmm. has like a long shot ability that uses the lowest dice. So I didn't necessarily want to add more dice. Whereas my other characters, I wanted more dice quickly to maximize my potential damage and make it more like swingy, like hit or miss. Do I hit all of them? Do I miss all of them? Or somewhere in between. So I I liked how different characters wanted to uh, potentially level differently. You have leadership again, lets you control more units, health, the units themselves. So whenever you fight a battle in a a sport battle, the ones that aren't where your units die, you can actually recruit units from the other team after that. And you get to pick which ones you recruit, even leaving some of your basic ones behind if you don't have enough leadership to handle them. Uh, The banes will be different from game to game uh, as well. So not only do you level in a positive way, but you'll level in a negative way. And the last one is prowess 
which we haven't really talked much about, but each hero has basically skill cards and they'll get them as they complete acts, but also as they complete those opportunities, you can get more and more prowess cards as well. So do you focus on opportunities that give you more prowess? Do you have ones that get rid of the banes that you have? Not only do you have your own personal ones, but some of those give you like challenges that you can do to get very specific prowess cards that'll give you uh, different things from game to game as well. And all those come in that opportunity deck. So there's just a lot of variety for your characters and the characters because of that felt unique to me. And I don't know, I, I really was happy with the leveling system. I felt like you leveled enough. There are a lot of these games yeah. where you don't level enough. This one, you the more bloodshed of events you fight, the more you're leveling up your characters, the more sport events you do, the more you're going to, that's, I almost view that as like a, a restocking when I do a sport yeah. event, like I get a new ally in my group or I can get new ta- or the tactics ships back in my hand for completing those where the bloodshed ones are really the ones where you're upgrading your heroes. So I like that give and take. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I think they do a nice job. And I think uh, even if you play the same hero, just like kind of where you end up going on the map, where the bosses like are for your campaign, I think you're going to naturally do different things. Like maybe you might do some of the bloodshed leveling similarly. Like you said, like some heroes kind of need health earlier. Some heroes might want more attack earlier. But apart from that, I think there's a lot of good variety there. My number three, very important thing for the game is the arena variety. Uh, One of the things that's hopefully stopping it from grinding are these eight different fighting arenas. And this is almost a full-on pro. I have a full uh, quibbles, a few quibbles, I should say. (laughs) I was about to say, you have a full quibbles? Full quibbles. (laughs) Half quibbles, actually. Uh, Yeah, so like I said, there are eight arenas. Uh, Let me get the quibbles out of the way first. You have AI behavior that is unique to each arena, like who they want to attack or what spaces they want to move to. I think it's generally very clear, but... There were always, not not for every arena, but for like half the arenas, there was something I was like, mm, I'm not sure. And I'd like ask somewhere. So, uh, you know, if, if it's already a thick rule book, but if they had had like a page that's kind of talking like, here's how this arena works, <laughs> I wouldn't have minded that. I'm sure as more people have the game and like more resources are out there, the internet will make all that very easy. But learning it kind of from scratch, there were a few arenas that threw me off. And then the other thing I'll say is out of the eight arenas, I would say there's like one and a half that I don't really find that interesting. It's not like I minded fighting there, but like the gimmick that they had for those arenas wasn't as cool. But besides that... Are you talking about the one where you're tied to your other person? That one drove me bonkers. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Especially if you got to do like King of the Hill on that one, where it's like you try to score points, but you can't score more than one at a time because you guys are like tied to each other. I think that's probably the least interesting, like most frustrating one out of all of them. Yes. But but pretty much all the rest were good to like full on winners for me. Yeah. Um. And yeah, the thing is, like, they just really do change up the puzzle and they make the tactical positioning interesting. And and the nice thing is when you combine that with the different types of events, it even has a greater effect on it. Although the one complaint I'll have is that I feel like I didn't do as much uh, King of the Hill or Capture the Flag as I would have liked. Because first of all, that's only half of the battles you're going into, like bloodshed versus sports. And then even out of those sports, they're more rare and often they'll give you a choice and often like that wouldn't be my favorite thing. So I almost feel like I would could have been forced into more <laughs> Capture the Flag and King of the Hill. But that being said, yeah, I really like the arenas. I think some of them are just like awesomely fun. 
Like I liked uh, grabbing beside his trident and throwing it at people. Yep. I liked the one where I was like uh, running away from the mon- uh, the beasts and trying to get them to kill the other people. Yep. I like both the ones with like the high ground, like the stairs and like the central one. Yep. I like the Amazon one shoving you in all kind of crazy directions. Like there's really cool ideas here and really cool concepts. So it, it is really fun it's just the one. Like, it's just the one where you're changing. Yeah, it's person. really just one. And and I am curious, like if they do an expansion because I know they're already planning to expand it. Like, could they just be like, hey? Here's a new mechanic alternate for that arena. For that one <laughs> arena. Know, well, that, the other one that wasn't as, as interesting is the final arena area. It just yes, you, you yes, do yes. one Vesuvius, damage to your character. It's tough. Yeah. Because local guys get plus one health and you get minus one. And especially like I, I had like an army that relied on archers the first time I went there and I was like, oh God. They yeah. all have one health now. Uh, yes. So yeah, it, it but yes, I agree that the final arena, like yeah, those are the two that like the final arena didn't annoy me. It just seemed like it wasn't that interesting. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't that much going on. That, that's why it was like one and a half arenas that I thought were kind of weak. Uh, but anyway, that's my number three. Uh, how about you, Peter? Or if you're number two, are you on two now? Yeah, I'm on number two, which is the tactical puzzle of the mm-hmm. game. And I use the word tactical puzzle, but I'm actually going to amend that to like strategic puzzle of the game because I think there is more strategy than it uh, first appears like it's a very tactical game. Okay, I need to move here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to try to block their movement and I'm going to use a guy that taunts over here. That way they can't Mm -hmm. get to me. And there is a lot of that in the game. So there are a lot of tactics in the game. But for me, it's almost more about the strategy of the game than the tactics of the game. Like, okay, they're going to come here next turn. So I have to think two or three. It's almost like chess. I'm thinking three turns ahead. All right, I'm going to put out this defender first because i need to get my taunt here by turn three and then i'm going to keep my hero back here so he's not getting attacked but after you know if i do this then i'm going to come up now again tactics comes up when you have situations that go wrong that go sideways but at least the plan in my mind i'm typically finding that not only for the battles themselves am i thinking strategically two three turns ahead but also on the map as well i'll plan out my trip to the next scion or whoever i have to fight I will plan that out typically ahead of time. I'm like, okay, I got 12 weeks. I'm probably going to rest once or twice in there. All right, which path makes the most sense for me mm-hmm. to go uh, to get there? So I think this game succeeds both tactically and strategically for me, at least anyway. I, I have no complaints about any of that. Yeah, and I'll get into some of the, I guess, strategy side. It's slightly different take on it for my number two, but it's also a big success. And that's the like the squad management and the resource management. For context, I'm a big fan of like old turn-based uh, tactical games. I already said Final Fantasy Tactics, but also like the Shining Force series and that kind of thing. I'm thinking more video games here, by the way. But then um, I also really love the XCOM video series. That's like the old ones and also like the more recent kind of uh, isometric. Well, I guess they were always isometric, but the, <laughs> the more recent turn-based ones. And one of the things I love the most, and I also have loved in board games that have done this in a way, like uh, Galaxy Defenders, the precursor to Sword and Sorcery is a good one for this. I like building out combinations of characters, using their special abilities in the right ways, putting them in the right place. And as much as it hurts, (laughs) and I know you like this in KDM, Peter, I I like dealing with losing somebody that was a linchpin to your whole strategy and having to rebuild. Yep. And across four acts, you are not key. Like, I don't care how good at the game you are, especially as you get into the later acts where it is really tough. Like, even if you find an awesome combo, you're going to get a bad roll. Something bad is going to happen. Your, like, best character is going to die. And then, oh, God, they're going to show up on the other side in a later fight. Um, 
yeah, I just find that all really cool. And then like uh, managing your tactics, like Peter said, you can get your tactics back after beating a sport contest, but that, that that's a lot. Like spending an entire week winning an entire battle just to get your tactics back, just so you can win some other battle later. Like it is a big ask, but those tactic shifts can be so powerful. Yep. So yeah, I, I just really like the strategic, like big picture thing of building out your squad getting them ready, bringing them into the right fights, keeping the key members alive. When do I take hits on my leader? And when do I like, you know, uh, let my, my squad tank the hit? I think all that stuff is really interesting. And I just, I think it's great. Yeah, no. And I don't know if we mentioned this or not. I can't remember, but when you, so after, when you go to a new arena, you're adding a new local unit to the bag. So the bag starts with just these like generic units in it. And as the game goes on, as you go to more arenas, you're going to be adding a new chip each time. And at the beginning, especially if they're sport events, well, only if they're sport events, you're probably going to recruit that new unit, that local unit, because you're not going to recruit like the random jobbers, like starting units. So you're going to be recruiting units. But when your units die, which only happens in bloodshed. So again, if you're playing sports, your units never die. They might die for that battle, but they're not completely gone from your your group. They come back at the end. But in bloodshed events, yeah, if you lose somebody, they're gone for good. And they go back in the bag. And as Mike said, then you could draw them out. Because this bag, you're not only taking a local unit each time you play, but you're bringing these units out of the bag as well. So it comes up with a you know a whole variety of stuff for each time you play. And that's actually my number one. My number one is the variety in the game. You kind of mentioned it earlier with your number five. You have eight different characters. You have... I forget how many different bosses, but quite a few different. It's eight. Uh, it's it's all eight. It's eight different characters, eight different bosses, eight different arenas. They they kind of found a number and stuck with it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, your units that you pull out, both your heroes and your rivals. You know your side and their side. You know you're pulling out these local heroes each time. It's going to be different. You know based on what locations you go to. You might like units from a certain region, and they usually have kind of like one that's like really matches the theme of that or maybe yeah. they have like one mechanic that really goes through and carries through the characters so you might like certain characters from certain regions to build up your squad but like you have to go to those regions and some games you just don't because it's not in the the plans because they tell you nope you're fighting bosses in these different areas so i like how you're gonna build up differently each time and as you pointed out even throughout the course of the game those allies that you have and those enemies you're facing are going to be constantly changing Mm -hmm. as the game goes along. The arenas are all different. And here's the other thing, which you you talked about the variety between the arena that you're in and like the the card, whether it's a Mm -hmm. sport or a bloodshed event, like that adds variety. But I also think those opportunities provide variety as well. That's a good point. So a lot of times I would do weird stuff to try to get like, you know, there's, some battles, you know, there's no way I'm getting any of these opportunity cards I have in front of me. But sometimes I try to get like two or three at it during one battle. And it feels really good when you can not only like do what the battle tells you to do, but pull off these two or three things as well. And then even with the sports, they tell you to capture the flag or whatever else. But the opportunity is always there to kill the other team. And that's mm-hmm. one thing. You don't have to do what it says. But they do something really clever. And this wasn't in the playthrough that I had. Yeah, yeah, no, This was like probably the best easy mechanical fix but sorry tell them but about no it. no you go ahead and talk about it yes yeah, so, so um when if i'm remembering correctly and peter I, like i didn't go back and watch the old video but peter saying it too makes me think we are right uh back when we were playing like the demo a billion years ago you could just kill everybody in every event and like everything became a kill event so what they did now for the sport events is uh one unit and it depends on the type of event like which unit it is 
but one unit gets this uh, symbol. What are they called, Peter? Do you remember? Tribune. Tribune, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Tribune is like the favorite of the arena. And if you kill them, your hero immediately goes down to one hit point, which is like the worst, besides just dying, it's like the worst outcome for any battle. So yeah, like they made it really interesting. So even in the uh, the sparring, which is like the just defeat everybody uh, sport events, but also of course in Capture the Flag and King of the Hill, trying to like deal with this annoying person. <laughs> for me, I feel like it always became, except when I got to choose, it always became like the worst person possible. But to yeah, somebody who just person, does like, one damage to you over and over, and yeah, it's like, you, know, you can't or even like, do or like anything some back. Giant tank, and they keep on protecting everybody else. I'm like, stop it! I can't kill you. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I, I think it was a great like little change that fixed a lot of the dynamics that I had maybe been concerned about when I played the demo with the uh, the sports arenas. Although I will say, with my archer, I ended up having to kill it early. I think it was like kill the tribune was like the arena goal or whatever for one of the arenas. Oh. So, like, that's the only option I had was, like, kill every unit. And so, uh, I forget what it was. Maybe it was an opportunity that I had, and I yeah, didn't have sense. to do it, but whatever. Whatever the whatever the thing was, I ended up killing it early, and then, since I never healed, I just kept going around with one health, since I was an archer. Didn't bother me. I was just one health. <laughs> so then, if I didn't like the combination for that uh, event... I would just kill everybody. I mean, like, forget it. I'm just going all in. Oh, that's a good point. I, I guess you don't have any uh, negative. There's no negative when one you're health. at one one hit point. Like, I think only the archer can do that. Of course. Oh yes, fair. yeah. No, everybody else, unless you got like a taunter right next to you the entire game, and even for the archer, they got to have the taunter like in front of them, no question. So you have to <laughs> slow play a little because those units are very very slow. So yeah, I, I mean, and the units we didn't really talk about this, but the units felt very different to me. Right. So like the tank units are all like one movement and they have a lot of health, like four or five, but like the only ability they have is taunt. I mean, they, they have dice. They usually attack for a lower amount as well. They're usually hit though. When they do attack, it's like one black dice or something, which means five out of six chance of hitting, but like they're very slow and you've got to like keep them in front of you like the whole time and units come in dazed, meaning they can't move or attack their first turn unless it's a tactician, which can move their first turn or whether it's a archer units, usually a first strike means they can attack their first turn. So just every unit with just a few keywords does a really good job of having variety. With all that said, it does feel like a slog sometimes. No question sure. in my mind. Yeah, yeah. So as much as I've been, you know, going on and about on about how good I think the variety is, Sometimes it just feels like you're doing the same thing over and over. And, and, you know, it's fine for one act, two acts, it's four acts. And it does ramp up as you go along. But even when it ramps up, you're still doing the same stuff. I mean, I think that is a big thing to leave with. Uh, so my my number one is uh, the tactical choices. I mean, I'm just going to kind of echo what you said, Peter. I think all the considerations going in, the, the very like minute movement differences and how it can totally change the enemy AI being very like clear once you understand some of the arenas, of course, being very clear, like, ha- like, you know, exactly what they'll do in each situation you can put them in. So you can like lead them into like traps and stuff. There's like a lot of cool things you can do. So yeah, I mean, it, for me in the end, each individual battle, even when it is getting a little grindy is still pretty fun. And especially I got to say, like, really, I think it picks up in act two. I feel like uh, act one is, like, it's great for learning, but I might even, like, find a way to skip it in future campaigns. Well, and leveling. You really are building up not only your bag, but the enemy bag as well. You're yeah. adding... So everybody's just leveling up through that first act. Yeah. 
So then in Act 2, you get an extra enemy in every battle. You get an extra tactic chip for the enemies in every battle, which I find makes a huge difference because they use them over the course of more rounds. And yeah, just like the bag has gotten more complicated. Like there's more interesting combinations of enemies. So yeah, so I think the tactics are great, but I do think it takes a little while to like get to its fullness. I, I could definitely see some people getting this game, playing just Act 1, not loving it and not playing anymore and not like knowing that it gets kind of, I think the most interesting. <laughs> the yeah, don't do that. The campaign. Don't do that. <laughs> Play past act one for sure. Get into yeah. act two, three, four. It definitely gets more interesting, but again, it may feel grindy at times. Sure. Sure. But I find even the ones, even the least interesting battles, except in that one arena setting. And again, you can also avoid that too, except if you yeah. have a the boss fight there, like then you just go in for that boss fight and ignore it. Otherwise, but uh, I, I do find that um, for the most part, I don't remember where I was going. Anyway, <laughs> I, I lost it. I lost it. Well, here, well, why don't I jump in with my final thoughts? Well, um, before you do, Brian says yep. uh, eight heroes, eight scions, 64 combination, 10 hours per game, 640 hours of entertainment. And I will say, as you pointed out before, those eight scions don't feel different until you're in the scion fight. For sure. So I, I would, I would, that's the only part I would disagree with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's really more like, I mean, really like Peter said, like the vast majority of the differences are going to be through the heroes because they're who you live with for four acts. So it's really like eight pretty varied playthroughs. And then you got to love the system to keep going back to it. You know what I mean? Like, I think at that point, like, like, I would say I would play a different here and a different Scion each time until you beat the campaign eight time. At that point, you've already gotten probably your money's worth. And then if you want to play it more, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you will want to go back and experience the different heroes. They do play different. I love looking through their prowess cards and just seeing, yeah. like, how I can level up the heroes. I do think also the reason it might feel a little grindy is because I always start on the normal difficulty, which you already start with three of those powers. I'm wondering what would happen if we start on the next level of difficulty where you only start with one of those powers. Yeah. I almost did it. I wasn't brave enough to do it, but I'm like, man, cause act four, I kind of tended to skip through too. I don't know if you did that, but I was like, no, no. I mean, yeah. Like if you've already got set up, like, yeah, if you've got most of your leveling and prowess done, you just want to get a good squad, and then you can go fight the sign. Because, yeah, to be clear, you can end the act whenever you get to the boss. You don't have to wait around for 12 weeks. No, no, I did the same thing. I don't think, you, like, act four is so dangerous yep. <laughs> at that point. I was like, it's fine. I'll just fight him. <laughs> like, Well, yeah, I just make sure I had a full squad, and I got my tactics ships, and that was it. Like, And yep. actually, I didn't even need tactics ships, because I was fighting the first boss they recommend, and you're fighting against only, like, hero level characters and you can't yes, use tactics can't against use tactics. them so well I guess, you can always adrenaline and uh health boost your own guys a whole bunch yeah that would have been smarter wouldn't it mike <laughs> would have been smart to go in set up that's why i lost thanks for pointing that out um, right, buddy. yeah i almost finished my second campaign but the first one i definitely did finish and i definitely did lose it's not it's not a pushover game that's for sure i know i know all right so final thoughts yeah so, mike. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed this one i i was very excited about it it is an interesting one in terms of like who might like it because it is entirely campaign game and only for solo play. So I think that's already like cut down the number of people who might play it. It is supposed to be cross compatible. We're not entirely sure how yet. They haven't like released all the details with a uh, Hopamakis remastered, which is coming in, in like another couple of months. But it's interesting to look at that one because that also has, I think, again, I'm not really sure what's in there, but I think they're going to have Titan style boss fights just like they had in the original Rise of Rome. So in a way, like Hoplomachus Remastered will cover 
the types of battles, although I don't think they'll be on like the cool, unique arenas. But yeah, I, I think if you aren't into the idea of this really long campaign and, and like into some of the grinding and into building up your squad and into like trying out different heroes and all that kind of stuff, it, it's interesting that Hoppelmachus Remastered might be the better one for you. Of course, Chip Theory hopes you'll buy both of them, but then you're looking at like $300. <laughs> that's, not, right. that's not cheap. But yeah, but I really enjoyed this one. Like I let Peter borrow it. I'm really excited to play it more <laughs> whenever it comes back. Um, I want to try out more of those heroes. I just want to like kind of see some of those things. And what's interesting is, P- Peter, you're probably the same way. I was playing this in very short succession, you know, or yes. quick succession. Like I played an entire campaign over the course of like two days, like because I wasn't back at work yet. And that's not how I would recommend playing the game. Like now that I've not had it for like a week and a half, two weeks. I'm like raring to go. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, like, let's go. Like even, even the one uh, arena you mentioned with like tied together, I'm like, ah, whatever, maybe, maybe I'll do a cool battle with that. that that'll be all right next well, time. Well, <laughs> to be fair though, th- there's a lot of tactics in that one. In fact, yes. it might even yeah. be one of the more tactical ones. Cause you really have to work as a tandem to move your guys to even get across. Yeah. It's like, how do I even get across the arena using these two guys? Unless I have people with, with a lot of move, or maybe I put adrenaline on one of my characters so I can increase yeah. their movement, which I normally don't do. But if I'm going to be in that arena for a while, you bet your butt I'm going to add some adrenaline, which seems counterintuitive. Why would I want to move more if I can only move like one space at a time? But you really but do. The matching speeds, the matching yeah, speeds you want. Right? Yeah, you have to like move around each other um, yeah. in, in weird like, kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a three-legged race. Like <laughs> It really like is. is. emulating a three-legged race. It really is. So that's not what I thought you were going to say, actually, as far as the you played it in quick succession, like you played the whole campaign in two days. I did two, probably two to four days is how long. Okay. But mine were quick sessions. So maybe that's why I didn't feel the grind as much, because I would go and I'd play two battles, maybe get an opportunity, and then I'd go upstairs and then I do something else. Yeah. And, and I would, but I would keep coming back. Like it kept drawing me back. Like I kept wanting to play and I would even think and plan my next one. I'm like, okay, so that's going to be the next arena. I know I'm fighting against that guy. Again, this is where the long-term strategy comes in. I'm like, oh, I think I want to do this. And then I go away and I come back because I wanted to do it while I was fresh in my mind. Right. So I like go away for an hour or two, hang out with the family, come back, play for like 30 minutes, do two different battles. Then I go away for a while again. And I do think that's not a bad way to do it because I it, it did keep bringing me back. It had that almost app feel to it. Like, oh, yeah. I got to go, you know, check on my red dots or whatever. Like, you know, and make sure I'm doing whatever I need to do. It's like, oh, I just wanted to do that one more battle. So it does have a little bit of that feel to it. Certainly there were nights where it was like Civ for me, where it's just, oh, one more turn, one more turn. I definitely got that feeling from it. I, I really like this one. I, I really do. With all the negative. I, I imagine it's your favorite chip theory that you oh, played, right? without. <laughs> Any questions? Even better than normal Hoplomachus for me because right, I love. That, I think the that leveling. was your previous, right? That was yeah. your previous top one. Yeah, and I don't need to play regular Hoplomachus anymore because honestly, I don't care about playing against other people. Now, if I was going to do one-off battles, like a co-op battle or whatever else, I wouldn't mind that. But you know, I, I love the leveling. That like, I don't know if I yeah. could. I mean, certainly, I wouldn't. I, I would live without it. But for me, I love games like Blood Bowl, things like that, where it's all about the leveling, all about building yeah. squads, things like that. This gives me a lot of those feels. So you said, who is this game designed for? It's designed for me, honestly, <laughs> between the tactics and the movement. Um, the one thing I will say for components, we all know Chip Theory D- Games does great components. And I usually like mock them a little bit because I think it's overdone 
Here, the components were perfect. Even there's this big thing called the stands or whatever. And I'm like, what the heck is all this about? <laughs> like, why would this is it's overwrought. You don't need it, but actually you do. And the reason you need it is for putting the game away. Literally, you take the three decks of cards out of there. I take the bosses you're fighting out out of there and I put it in one tray with my hero stuff. And I just leave my current hero health right in there in this one tray. So I'll have my hero's health. I have the the tactics I have. I have my units and I put it in one tray with the bosses I haven't fought yet. All the dice go in that same tray and everything else and the cards go in the box, but everything Mm. else stays in this arena. It's got a cover for it. You put it on and you're packed up in like five minutes and you pull it out in like five minutes. So that's why I was able to like transport the gameplay downstairs sometimes, upstairs sometimes. Like whenever I wanted to play it, I felt like I could put it together and pull it out. I feel like they this is probably one of my favorite productions for yeah. getting a game to table that I've ever had. So it's not one of my five points, but I really think it does a lot for playability of the game. Because otherwise, when you got this 10-hour campaign, unless you just have the luxury of having a place you can keep it set up all the time, I think it's really, it'll it'll get you through the campaign doing it that way. So I really do like that. But I like tactical battles. Do I think it's a perfect game? No. But I think it's really good for me and what I want out of it. Yeah. Well, yeah sorry, Peter. I think I'm going to still keep that one in my house. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, so let's get into our design discussion, which is how do you build variety into it? And I actually want to start with something I think this game, I'd love to see an expansion in the future. Obviously more heroes, because I do think the heroes change up the game dramatically. So that's number one, because I love the different heroes and just how they play differently. But more importantly for me would be getting that Scion more involved. And I think they could even do it with what they have now. So imagine if the decks were half as big. Imagine that bloodshed events were half as many and there were half as many sport events and there were half as many opportunities, but then each boss brought its own deck of half as many Mm. things. So now 50% of the events you're doing have to do with the scion you're fighting against. Maybe it's 75%. I don't know. Like, But obviously, there'd be much more cost associated. What I just said, how I love the portability, you just take it in and out. There's going to be a little bit of that lost with what we're talking about. But I do think it would add to the variety and that feeling of something different much more so. Now, I don't know how much variety you can add with just the cards in the arena and things like that. I don't know how different it would feel. But I do think there's a way to do it where you can add just some kind of an event that would make it feel more like you are in this battle against this specific scion, even before Mm. you get to face that scion. Yeah, I mean, I'd even, because 50% to 75% sounds like a crazy amount of like, I don't even know how they find enough mechanics to like make that many. Sure. But I'd even be fine with like kind of how the too many bones breakdown is where you get, I don't know, it's like two encounter cards out of like 10 or 12. So, like, you see them every once in a while. You know what I mean? Like, they pop up multiple times throughout the campaign. And, yeah, maybe, like, a few more Scion Banes. And maybe make a rule that you can't get rid of those ones, you know? Or they're harder to get rid of or something. I I think all those things would be nice just, you know, because, like the one commenter said, like, yeah, you got 64 combinations right now. But the bosses aren't really, like, they don't really feel like a combination. But if they did, if they they had far-reaching, like, kind of implications... I'd also love, I don't know how hard it would be, but it'd be cool if they could like have an alternate arena for each of the eight. 
that's clearly a lot, you know, but wouldn't that be neat? Like if you, if you stay on the same world board, but you just like use a different board or even maybe, maybe they even can use the same board, but there's a new rule for it, you know, like, yeah, you're still going up, but it does something different. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I, if they never did anything else for it, I'd still be pretty happy with it. Like it's a hundred fifty dollar game. I don't want to say like, Hey, let's get excited for the other next hundred dollars you'll spend. <laughs> but I'm happy with what I have. I'm excited to play more with just the content that's there, you know? Yeah. No, but, I mean, crap, it, I'm sorry. We're not talking about, I, I'm, I'm still like in the brain of reviewing Hoplo. Yeah. So variety. Well, so let's look at a game like Gloomhaven versus a game like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some off the top of my, oh, Osworn as an example. Now I know they're yes. a little different. One's a boss battler and one's, one's a, a more standard traditional dungeon crawl, but I feel like Oathsworn, Aeons, and games like um, Adventure Tactics, they do a really good job of making each battle feel unique. And maybe that's just something with the genre. Whereas Gloomhaven, I did feel the grind more, where it felt like I was doing similar things over and over. So what are some of the the things that you think they they do and, and do well to like change that up You know, between those different genres? Yeah, yeah. So I mean... There's a lot of things going in there. There's a lot of like areas to vary up in these kind of like cooperative adventure games and such, which I think are some of the main ones we're talking about. So clearly there's great differences in like how much hero variety you have and what like value that brings to the game. You know, if you look at Gloomhaven, I think it has one of the best, like yep. playing a different hero in Gloomhaven, crazy different experience, awesome like combos to discover. And even to a lesser extent, leveling up your hero in the the big way, which you don't get as often as I might like. But when you like unlock new cards and stuff and like your combos kind of change and evolve, like that's awesome. Compared to Marvel United, I I know Steve would disagree with me on this, but at least (laughs) of the many heroes I've played and looked at, which is quite a many, you know, like some of them are pretty different, but they aren't different in like a way that's exciting. Like, yes, okay, they might have more moves, they might have more attacks, and on like a macro level, it actually changes the way you like might win the game, but it doesn't feel cool to me. (laughs) You know, it doesn't like So does complexity have to be part of it? Because you look at the complexity difference between something like Gloomhaven and Marvel United. Marvel United, they only have four icons that they really use in the game. So creating variety there, it's harder, you know, coming from. Yeah, and I think I think they do a great job with what they have, like for a streamlined system like that. There is still some pretty good variety in characters. Um, But yeah, I, I think on every card, you have two different options, right? You got the top side, the bottom side, you could vary it up. Usually the bottom's a move, but like you can vary that up too, right? Like put an attack on the bottom. It makes it feel completely different than something, you know, than most of the other characters. So I think, I mean, the the gold standard to go for on the character side of things, I think is to make it feel like you do something that nobody else can do, you know? And, Original D&D had that in a very clear way. Like, only the thief can do this. Only the wizard can do that. Only the cleric can do this. Now, with all, like, the multi-classing and, uh, <laughs> and like, druid versus cleric versus, you know, sorcerer versus wizard, you that kind of gets all, like, blurred a little bit. But, uh, you know, like, look at some of the games that I think would be considered the best for character variety. Like, Marvel Champions. Big part of your deck is all this stuff and often like unique mechanics. Like Natasha does these things with her tactic cards or whatever they're called. Only she can do, you know, and Hawkeye does things with his arrows. Only he can do. Yep. Uh, Sentinels of the multiverse has the same thing with like these unique decks. And often there's like a keyword or a mechanic that is only for that character. Gloomhaven to a lesser extent, but again, like usually there are very clear things that only your character can do, like combinations, unique skills they have. Uh, Spirit Island, huge one. 
like very unique things for each spirit. Like only you are doing this, like so many little complex elements going on. Well, I think but, Spirit yeah, Island's none of- a little different. That's, that's an interesting one. Cause I was just about to say every other game you talked about, it is basically a set of cards or a subset of cards, or even in this one where you've got, I forget the name of them. The, uh, the things you level up. Prowess. Like you, the prowess. The yeah, prowess your cards. Your personal prowess cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so all of those have kind of like a, a unique set of stuff that only your character can have. But actually, Spirit Island's a good example. Yes, you have four starting cards, but those don't last for most of the game. Where Spirit Island adds it, they have unique powers on your board and unique ways of leveling up. So some characters will get more money. Some will be able to play more cards each turn. So they're very different in that way, which is different than the cards. Because I was thinking, oh, you need like unique cards for each character. But I think you can do it on a player board. And, well, and-, and I think a Spirit Island is similar to Marvel Champions for me. Because like, yeah, you're right. And if you if you bear it down in a technical way, like maybe it's not the biggest part of the game. But between the player board and those upgrade things and the way you upgrade and the starting cards, which, you know, will be there for a while, like, you know, playing the ocean, just to name some starter ones versus like the rock one that guards really well. Like that's a totally different experience (laughs) with what you're doing in the game. You know what I mean? And so for me, I think the key is that your powers, if you have unique powers, need to be more powerful than basic powers. So, for example, in Spirit Island, I want to build my deck in a very specific way with very specific symbols. I may take a card that I don't think is as good if it has symbols that will help me trigger my personal powers. But if my personal powers were super weak, I wouldn't care about that. And I just get the best cards. I'd always buy the best cards every time. Marvel Champions is the same way. That set of 15 cards is less than 50% of your deck, but they are the most powerful cards you're going to see. They're way more powerful than the basic and the aspect cards for the most part. So because of that, you want to build into the uniqueness of your character, but those games do a great job also because they do let you build around that uniqueness. Like you don't, you're not locked into having to build this exact way every single time. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I still love these games, uh, this game, but Too Many Bones, like what you had alluded to earlier, the, you know, I, I've, I, there are concerns, especially in shorter campaigns with that one, where sometimes just getting basic attack and defense are your strongest options. And I'm like, man, I wish these like unique player powers were a little bit better. And yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think also you want the same kind of thing if you're doing like anything kind of modular with... Uh, you know, mixing in environments or like the stage or the enemies. And, you know, this is kind of a good rule in general for like objective based games or like tactical games, like the arenas in Hoplo. You need it to be different enough. This is just my opinion. If you want good variety, you need it to be different enough that it forces you to change your strategy. Yeah. I wouldn't say that every hop, like the Vesuvius one, Yes, you have less life. Does that force you to change your strategy? No, but most of the other arenas, like you need to pay attention to the arena. You cannot just play the exact same game you did in a previous arena and it'll be fine. And and I think that's, uh, for me, one of the big failings of a lot of Gloomhaven scenarios, which I'm definitely on the record for saying like tend to get pretty samey for me. And that's across uh, the original game and Jaws of a Lion in that the differences they bring in, like this map is a little bit different, or there's like this one little mechanic in there, or, oh, this time you have slimes instead of cultists. It's often not enough that my combos change. You know what I mean? Like my character, like I have, and the characters are amazing. (laughs) Very clear on that. 
but like the cool tricks my characters have aren't often going to be that different. So I think if you on the enemy side or on the opposition side, like to contrast it, Spirit Island. Well, I was going to say the different opponents you can play against, like the nations and stuff. They do change it up, but I I would say there again, the player variety wins out. Like I'm going to be led by my faction. I think the big difference is that you're, you're not, I, I think they do a better job of leveling you up in Spirit Island quicker. I think that's the big yeah. failing for Gloomhaven. I think if you got new, I think if Gloomhaven was 10 scenarios instead of 100 and you leveled up 10 times as fast, the game would be more exciting for people like you and me. Not saying that it's the right choice. Obviously, it's the number one game of all time, right? But for people like you and me, I think that's what we would want more of. We would want quicker leveling, shorter number of scenarios, more variety yeah. in each scenario. And I think that's where Spirit Island has a huge benefit. Even though, even if you don't use an AI opponent, even if you're doing the same thing on the board every time, where the variety in that game comes in is what spirit you choose. Not only that, but you have a random assortment of basic and upgraded abilities that they're like a deck of 50, a hundred of them, whatever it is. And you're getting like four a game, right? But they're four very impactful things that you get to your deck each game. It's probably more than four. It's probably like six or eight upgrades, but you know what I mean? Like you're, those things make such a difference to what you can do, even with the same spirit that I think they add variety there. And I think that's important with leveling too. So I, I will say one thing that I almost wish they did in the uh, Hoplomachus Victorum is I wish that you didn't have a choice of all your special powers every time I thought you the exact up. same thing. Like I wish you like, had... I was thinking like draw two, keep one, draw and two, like keep... shuffle in the upgrade levels as you get them. Because I do yeah, think yeah. there is a good, obvious order that you're going to want to get them in to, to compare it back to Too Many Bones. Even though I like the variety and I want to get almost all of them by the end of the game, I do think there is an obvious order to get them out in. And so, yeah, I... I I almost wish for variety's sake, and maybe this would make games not feel as grindy and make it feel mm-hmm. like you're getting something different and having to do different tactics if I wasn't just able to get my first strike ability with my archer every time, right? So I can come out and shoot stuff when it gets close enough to me. So I, I do think there are things the game can do to force variety from game to game. And, you know, it's like looking at Agricola versus Caverna. If we want to go to old school mm-hmm. Euro games, like Caverna, you have every option on the table at the beginning of the game. Agricola gives you a hand of seven professions. And those seven yeah. professions are going to be different from game to game. So that's another although thing. Although I, I think that's uh, to, to hit back a little bit, although I haven't played this in a while. I often felt like in Agricola, many of the professions weren't balanced well to be, going back to your earlier point, stronger than basic stuff that I can do anyway every game. So often except for certain professions and certain like cards in my hand, I would just play the exact same game of Agricola I always played and even win with that strategy. You know what I mean? No, I I agree with that completely. So yeah, I I think we've come to some conclusions here. This is like a a brief or not a brief. This is a, a pretty big topic, but I think we've come up with some things here, you know, some final points. So why don't you go in with your final thoughts? Like what do you think's kind of the keys here? Yeah, I guess to, to follow up on the point I said on like the enemy side, I think roteness is the death of variety and often can be like the death of fun in a game. We saw that a little bit in Hoplomachus Victorum. If you're in the same arena, your same units and your combo is strong enough that you can win and not really worry about it, that roteness is going to make the game feel dull for a while until you break out of that cycle. The problem, and you know, this is a, this is a mic problem. Clearly dungeon crawlers are an incredibly popular genre. 
But a lot of dungeon crawlers, I feel, and this is Gloomhaven very much, I feel like the roteness of like, I do the same tactics, I do the same thing, unless they have really cool tactical combat, unless they have really varied AI, unless they have really varied objectives, I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over. So yeah, like I, I think on either the player side or the enemy side, when you're designing games, look for ways to break up the repetitiveness, the obviousness. I mean, you could even go back to that uh, Moonrakers thing, Peter. Like, we were playing our hand in an obvious way and in a similar way every time. Yep. And maybe that campaign's just a little bit too long for that. Maybe that's not the strongest part of the game. Maybe without the negotiation, it falls apart a little bit. I think a lot of deck builders that I don't like as much uh, have that same issue. Like Aeon's End, I like parts of it. But man, I feel like, you know, a lot of the time, except for my purchasing options, like my hand displays itself over and over and over again. And and unless the like the best bosses in Aeon's End are the ones that mess with your deck, like do things differently. You need to approach it a different way to, again, break up that monotony. So, yeah, that, that's my kind of final point, I think. Well, that's the whole point of deck builders, right? You're supposed to just be able to lay your deck, to, your hand down and like do what it tells you to do. I mean, the choices are what you do with those things. But yeah, I mean, the, the- oh, but, but like the funny thing is, that's what a lot of deck builders became. I wouldn't call Dominion that to an extent like Dominion. You're building an engine that can be very different game to game. Yep. Yes. At some point, your engine plays itself. But, you know, Dominion has the limited actions that only some deck builders have that I think is so key to like more interesting deck building and play. You know, uh, what's the one we both like? Core Worlds core worlds your hand does not play itself you know in any way for sure not and i think it's better for it battle for grayport your hand does not play itself even in the slightest it's very tough like choices because you have very limited ways to actually use your cards no that's yeah I, i think i think what the more like the most common form of deck builder has become the legendaries of the world the ascensions of the world i think really push this forward and those games can have variety too i'm gonna say like in the kind of basic formula it is like very much like play out my hand. I got five of this and four of this. That's the best thing. I'm attacking that guy. My turn's done. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It can be a very fun, like rinse and repeat cycle, but I think it's not the most varied experience that you can have, but right. I'm talking too much. Peter, what's your final thought? So my final thoughts are what we were just talking about. If you're going to make, I would say if you're making a unique hero specifically, because bottom line is, even if the enemies and the villains are, are similar from game to game, I think what a lot of people drive variety from is the player turns, what you're doing. And so I think a good way to do that is what we talked about. Make your hero very powerful. Make what they're doing very powerful compared to like the basic cards you can get. Mm. But at the same time, make their variety, introduce new elements, let them get new skills as they're leveling up. Maybe they get new equipment as they're going along. Maybe they lose some things like they do in Hoplomachus and Blood Bowl, stuff like that, where you're losing some of your powerful stuff. And now you got to figure out a new tactics, a new strategy, not just because you're getting more powerful stuff and there's like this power creep going on, but also because like, okay, I relied on this unit too much. Now I don't have that unit anymore. How do I still end up winning these battles without having that without that crutch or whatever else introduce variety i I think another good one we talked about was spirit island the way that i don't always want to buy a card just because it's the most powerful ability sometimes i need a card that goes with my strategy even if it's a little bit weaker and i think a lot of deck builders don't do that well they go oh this is a four power card it's way better or i undercosted this card it's only two that should definitely have been a four power well i'm going to definitely buy that I think finding ways to make cards fit 
strategies and engines like we're like you were just talking about that Dominion does so well, I think that is an important part of it as well. Give them something powerful that makes them unique and then let them add stuff to vary that up and change up the way they play from game to game. Even if the enemies are the same, I still think it there's enough variety there. Uh, and I think that's what Adventure Tactics did so well for me. Like, because you were leveling and changing throughout the game, that's why that was one of my favorite boss battlers that's out there, is because you changed so much. Even if the scenario didn't change, which it does, it's obviously very varied, but I just liked what I was doing so much. So that's it for me. To create variety, I want, I want to change. I don't want necessarily the scenario to change. If they both change, even better but I want to be able to do cooler stuff or different stuff and want to be forced to do different stuff from game to game. Yeah. And I'll just throw in a, you just made me think of this. Sorry. I know we're going late. No, it's all right. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, you gotta be careful with this kind of kit cause it can be an unfun thing, but I think uh, you shouldn't be afraid to take away toys for a limited basis yep. to force strategies to change. Um, I'll give three quick examples. Gloomhaven. As your hand windows down, I know not everyone likes the kind of like loss of abilities and loss of strength, but it does force the tactical puzzle to become more interesting, especially like I would say in those middle rounds where you like have choices, but they're limited and not always the exact same combos you would normally like to use. Spirit Island does this great. You lock yourself out of cards. You got to find combos because you don't want to rest like resting uses up so much time. And then a final one that I'll mention real quick, Set a Watch, which uh, is a game I like some. A variant that I think makes Set a Watch, at least for me, a lot better. I don't even remember this game at all, Peter. Yep, I do. Like where you're, yeah, yeah. So a variant that I wish they had had in Set a Watch is um, right now you can pretty quickly get the ideal abilities for your characters, and it's obvious they're the best abilities. And for most characters, it's like why would you ever use any other ability except for these? Yep. I think a very quick variant that like when you use an ability, it goes to like the bottom of the pile, and you got to use the other abilities to get it back again. Something along those lines. I think that would drastically increase the variety from game to game when you play with the same character. I think that's something to consider. Like cool uh, cooldowns, you know, we had a whole discussion about cooldowns, but like kind of like a variation on cooldown effects. If you don't always give them the same tools, and this is a game where a lot of dungeon crawlers fall. Like what, what <laughs> Descent Legends of the Dark had a little bit of like my tools would change as cards flipped, but like not in an interesting way. I was just doing the exact same thing every turn, you know, walk up, punch them a few times. Uh, if if my tactics and my tools had changed in a more drastic way throughout the scenario, I'd be more excited as I played it. But <laughs> let's stop there. I gotta. Go to well, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to not d- delay this conversation more, I think it's one we'll revisit maybe even next week uh, or in two weeks when we do Stars of Akarios. Maybe this yeah, will yeah. be a good one to even pick up on. But the other thing to think about is how do you do all that and not make complexity through the roof, right? Because that's yeah. the the bane of what we're talking about here, the bane of variety, I think, is complexity. And so the more you try to add in, the more variety, the more you make want to make it change from game to game, you're also probably increasing complexity. So we'll talk about that probably in a couple of weeks, maybe how to fight that as we continue this discussion. All right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. All right. Great seeing you, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey Mike. 
you can't bring that sword over here, man. I'm scared. I'm not the I'm one. I'm a little yet. scared of it too. <laughs> Dude, you could you you have a new way to open your letters though. Yeah, that would be a heck of a paper cut. 